0: San of First Church family, so good to be with you again. Dee and I, we are looking at our first impressions of, as I mentioned before we just started recording, probably one of the most famous passages in the New Testament, maybe the entire Bible, in John chapter 3.
1: Yeah, we see this advertised at football games and uh, other athletic events. And- yeah. Certainly very appropriately quoted in um, numerous uh, baptismal ceremonies or other special uh, spiritual events. Yeah. So yeah, very familiar. John yeah. 3, 16 John
0: 3.16 in particular. John 3.1-17 is the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, in this podcast, as well as what D will be preaching from this coming Sunday. Um, I would love to read that passage for us so that we just kind of have an overall... Uh, understanding of the passage and the context and when that very famous verse comes through. So here we go. John chapter three. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. What is born of the flesh is flesh and was born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel? and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and do not believe, what can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness— So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him may not perish, but have eternal life. And indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. I always feel just like after reading that, you just got to take a second. Selah. Selah. <laughs> because that is a that is a that is a big piece of scripture right there. Not only yeah. does it is it chock full of so many of the references of just kind of within Christian cultural linguistics, being born again, um, uh, earthly things and heavenly things and the Son of Man, as well as the very famous John 3.16. Um, and the follow-up verse, John 3.17, where God has not come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I, It is just such a beautiful text and challenging text because of, I think, partly where Nicodemus is coming from. And that Nicodemus is a, a rabbi of Israel who knows the law, who um, is well acquainted with the teachings of Moses and the prophets and still doesn't seem to get it when Jesus lays it out for him.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could say that that wasn't true for me, That's but true. I had the feeling that uh, I don't have the feeling. I just know the many times that there's an aha moment. And I think, how come this didn't dawn on me 10 years ago. Why did it take yeah. me so long to grab hold of the power of this truth or something like that? So I have, feel like I am a relative of Nicodemus. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh my gosh. In many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But before some of the dialogue about Nicodemus, you emphasized just a few moments ago, and I I would hate for this podcast to miss the poignancy of verse 17 yeah Um, and I I, I'm not trying to take verse 17 and narrowly apply it only to one thing but I certainly do want to acknowledge uh, how I love the church and have given my vocational journey Mm -hmm. for many years to the life of the church But I am very, very aware that for many, many people there is a church trauma that has left them feeling injured, um, pushed outside, uh, left feeling far less than what we proclaim good news should um, bring about. And, And here it so clearly states... That the Son of God didn't come to condemn the world. Yeah. Before I go any other place, I feel like I just would like to own up to the fact that I'm part of a system that has often not lived well into that Mm -hmm. statement. Yeah. And I think it'd be wonderful. Last Sunday was so much about confession Mm -hmm. and to confess we've not done a great job yeah. of moving away from condemnation and moving toward the saving grace and love of Christ. And um, I think it's very hard for people to consider stepping back into the doors of the church if the church doesn't at least acknowledge that we've not done very good at that. Yeah. So. And that's not just
0: here. That's across Jesus's ministry. Yeah. And it's the common thread of... Jesus has his most and harshest judgment, condemnation for the people who should know better—the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests. Yeah, the, it's the, his harshest condemnation is for those within the structure, right? Who who have been trained in this stuff, and people like you and me, but also those who who are well acquainted with what the kingdom of God. Is called to look like, um, not just in the law and the prophets, but through Jesus's earthly ministry. And you're absolutely right. We're unable to to move past that to say, like, uh, I mean, it's very famous words of Gandhi that I, I love your Jesus. I don't like your your Christians, <laughs> right? Ooh, yeah, ugh. that feels great. My yeah. mom, my mom used to say it this way: like, the church is really good at shooting our wounded, mm. and and certainly, like, um, and in my family has witnessed some of that um, it, with people that we grew up with and, and know in our circles. And um, that's probably many of the story that we've in our congregation. Hopefully our congregation is rec- reckoning with that. Yeah. And I think you lead us in that in a really good way about bringing this up out of the gate. And, and I hope that we try to think of ourselves less as a shooting range. Than, yeah. uh, than more of a hospital.
1: Yeah. I, I probably would even push beyond the hospital metaphor a little bit, though I appreciate the imagery that that brings up. But I, I felt so strongly about this in last week's message that the invitation <clears throat> to those who come to the church is to join the dance of the forgiven, yeah. not to hear the message of how you then should live. <laughs> but instead to say, yeah. yeah, we're just all celebrating the fact that we've been forgiven. Come yeah. join that celebration and then together we'll be on this journey and figure out where God is leading us. Yeah. And so I, I, I feel deeply how poignant for me then verse 17 mm-hmm. is yeah. to find a safe space because what draws me to that place is all the condemnation I have already felt, yeah i I don't need you to add to the yes. <laughs> the hurt and pain that I already feel, yeah, but but when I see that somebody is celebrating being forgiven, wow, that would be a nice taste in my mouth, a wonderful drink to partake, yeah, um so anyway i I wonder if i I wonder where Nicodemus falls into. That he's part of the the religious order, he's a Pharisee, and yet it sure seems like he is seeking to learn. Yeah, I mean, he's asking questions. He's mm-hmm. um, he's intrigued by what Christ is saying. I now go to the beginning of this passage and find it just curious that he comes at night. What do you make
0: yeah. of that, Matt? I I make of a few things of that. <laughs> One, um, that I should say it this way. So as previously I was a youth pastor here and, and, in in this church and uh, before Malin and then after her, Lexi, um, it was a common thing that when we went to camp or some special th- like event, uh, conversations would easily extend into midnight, 1 a.m., mm. 2 a.m. There is something about, and I had a professor at Fuller say something to this effect, that for some reason Jesus tends to show up at 2 a.m. in the, park, the church parking lot, <laughs> just having conversation. And, and so I harken back to that, and so it was experientially. But there's also a, a wider biblical reference here. Which is, it is, specifically in John, that John wants to play a lot with the metaphor of light and dark. Yeah, yes. And that, it, you know, John 1, and Jesus is the light of the world, which is the life that is given to all. Yeah. This this creative order, all spoken
1: of in this light language. Light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not.
0: And, and Nicodemus comes out of the dark. Like, he comes out of a place where... um, there is maybe a, a front of knowledge or there is um, a, v- a veneer of having it together. And yet it's not for what God has intended. And here is Jesus showing some light into the darkness that Nicodemus has previously been working in. And in that light comes this message um, that The reason Jesus is even there is to conform minds and hearts and bodies into this heavenly way of doing business. Mm. Oh, I like that line. And rather than the, like, condemnation, rather than the restrictiveness that Nicodemus might be partaking in other places. Yeah. And that um, in that light, there remains messiness. There remains a... Yeah, this idea of being born again um it's kind of messy and but it's marked with love and forgiveness and an understanding of worship God and uh that we we might be one reconciled with God and with each other.
1: Yeah. Wow, I like that so much. I I wonder if we don't know a whole lot of the backstory of Nicodemus. We do know a little bit about the after story yeah. because he appears a couple more times. One of those times under the cover of darkness again. Uh-huh. Um, but there is almost a sense in which he steps into the light in the last passage, which mm. maybe we'll come to uh, before this season is over. Um, but I I wonder about the backstory. Yeah. Which is certainly speculation. But very often it seems to me that when we are um, disadvantaged in some way and feel the pain and hurt of the oppression of power, that when those individuals move into power or authority or positions where they have more control, they often repeat the very thing that was done to them. Yeah, I wonder if Nicodemus, moving into a position of power, wrestles with that incongruence. Mm. Like, I know what it feels like to be on the other side of this. Now I'm a Pharisee, maybe even a Pharisee of Pharisees, Mm -hmm. like a, a person who is known for authority. And is there something that's unsettled inside of him that says just moving power from one person to the next is not the solution? Yeah. It's rethinking what we do with power. Yeah. And I wonder if this seeking out of Jesus, who seems to be gaining in popularity, but not responding to the popularity the way you'd expect. Yes. Walking away from crowds. <laughs> walking away from they want to make him king. Uh-huh. And he steps away from those things. I can imagine Nicodemus going, Oh, something's different here. Yeah. And I want to know more about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's I, that's what I wonder about the backstory. Mm,
0: yeah. yeah. I also wonder um what prompted him to come to Jesus? Yeah. Like, because he's, he's a Pharisee. He knows what's up. He recognizes Jesus authority and he still like has this kind of incongruence, as you said, this inconsistency. So is it out of that inconsistency that he comes or is it out of a, an authentic desire or like, and we obviously know, as we talk about, we know more about his story that he's, he's intimately involved in, uh, Jesus' burial, mm-hmm. uh, initial burial, Joseph Arimathea. Um, and yet, like, there's a part of this, like, if I were Jesus, knowing the story, like, I would be kind of suspicious. Like, yeah. I wonder if there's something that we come to this passage and people like, like Nicodemus with a little bit of defensiveness. Yeah. Going like, why are you really here? And instead of allowing the generous narrative to be like, oh, you're earnestly seeking. I think that's just a check on my heart and where I'm at. Of, uh, I, I ask maybe too cynical of a question sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, D knows me obviously very well. Let me confess my cynicism. Um, but I, that I will be um, hesitant towards people and, and, and curious of their posture before actually checking that and allowing their honesty and earnestness to come through
1: so for me if i could offer a great way to conclude this podcast um the uh direction of the sermon for sunday that has intrigued me about this is the nicodemus in each of us Mm. so let's leave everybody with the question as you just kind of talked about um when you read this story, is there any part of it that leads you to some sort of answer to that question? What is the Nicodemus in Mm. me? Where do I connect? And why? So looking forward to Sunday. Sounds great. Thanks, Matt.